You are now listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part two of our sermon series entitled Reset. Please enjoy. Real quickly, how many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand. You were not here last week. Wow, a lot of you were not here last week. That means... That's the summer rotation, though. That's how it goes in the summer. So here's what I would love for you to do. Go back and get a copy of last week's message. It was so good. It was so foundational to what we're talking about. But here's the, here's the, the genesis, or here's the big idea behind this series called Reset. Here's what we all tend to do. We all tend to kind of start out our year with a hope that this year could be the best ever, that this year is going to be awesome, that this year things are going to be different. And and we start out with maybe new goals. We start out with some new priorities. We start out with some things we want to accomplish and achieve. And how many know that kind of starts itself on a course, but life has a pull to it. Life has kind of like, it's like driving a car that's out of alignment. You're going down the highway and it just naturally wants to pull you in one direction. And you have to fight that, don't you? Or you end up hitting somebody or running off into a ditch. Or you just end up driving with your hands over here all the time, which that really gets annoying. And so life has a pull to it. And so many of the things that you started out wanting to accomplish this year and the goals that you had at the start of this year, we've just kind of gotten off course from them. And so this series is all about helping you reset. We're, we're in the month of August now, which is the eighth month of the year. And, and this is your time to reset everything. We've kind of come through the end of summer here, like we talked about with the, the, the ebb and flow of life, school starting back. Many of us kind of get out of vacation mode. And we kind of get this thing where we say, this is my last stretch. This is the home stretch. This is where we need to finish strong. And to finish strong, I just know because life has drifted so far, we need to reset some things in our life. And last week, we talked about the idea that we all need to reset our time, that how we think about time and how we use our time and how we prioritize our time, something needs to shift and we need to reset that. And I don't want to cover any of that stuff, but go get the CD for me. And today we actually, and again, this is a very, very practical message. There's four key things that I want you to reset over these four weeks And if you do so, I promise you, the end of your year, you will finish strong and you will accomplish what it is that you set out to accomplish. Can I get, that's what we all want, right? So so here's today, what I want to talk about is talk about you resetting your budget, resetting your wallet, resetting your finances. Because I know a lot of us, we did, we started out at at, at the beginning of the year, say, you know what, I want to give more. And we all want that, don't we? We all want to be able to give freely. I don't know too many people that say, well, giving is dumb, and I don't ever want to give. And when people are hurting, I don't want to give. And when people are in need, I don't want to give. You know, most of us are not in that category. Most of us have a heart of compassion. Most of us, when we see needs, we want to rise to the occasion. We would love to be able to write that check or send that money or send that missionary or help those people build a well in Africa. And that's, you know, so those types of ideas, most of us want to do that. Most of us have a heart towards our church. We say, I love my church. I would love for our church to be blessed and do and to build and to go and to have all and to reach more people. We, we, we think that way. And our heart is not the issue, is it? It's our wallet. Our wallet's the issue. And today I want to share with you, share with you some, some financial things from the Bible to help you kind of reset your wallet. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and let's pray. So Father, I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. God, I know talking about money at church can sometimes be a little bit anxious, a little bit nerve-wracking. God, let us all put our heart at ease right now. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to stress about, God. We, we thank you that your wisdom and that your truth, we can build our life on it, and our life will be better for it. 
So God, we trust you with that today as you speak to us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Now, here's the deal. I know that if you're visiting today, this is probably not what you wanted. You're like, I went to church. I was wanting to go check it out. And you know what they did? Freaking preacher decided to talk about money. And I want you to know, I, I get that. I grew up with a dad that hated it every time the preacher decided to talk about money. And I, I just want you to know, too, that I've been in churches where I've seen people abuse the pulpit and the way that they talk about money. So again, I want to put you at ease. There's no second offering, and you don't have to sign up for anything. I'm going to encourage you. God's not broke. There's not a, a recession in heaven. I don't need you to write more checks or heaven might go bankrupt. Shocking, isn't it? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You know what that means? Is that it's all God's. So how rich is God? He's got it all. And if even he wanted more, he'd just make more. So God doesn't need your money. But what God wants to do is have you think and see things as he thinks and sees things. And as you begin to see as God sees, then it will become easy to do as God says we ought to do. That's our goal this morning. And so with that in mind, let me tell you about us. Because um, I am a student of people. And I am a student of, of our problems. And I'm a student of the solutions that the Bible gives. People ask me all the time, like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, hey, man, I help, under, help people understand the Bible and understand the ways of God and get to know who God, that's my job. That's what I try to do. And so in light of that, I have to figure out us sometimes. And you know what about, I know about us when it comes to our finances? Number one, this is what I know about us, is that all of us are living on a percentage of our income. Isn't that true? Now, we don't know what that is, though, do we? Or at least most of us don't. There's a few of you that do. There's a few of you that are book people. You have an Excel spreadsheet. You have some type of system or whatever. But most of us have no idea what percentage we're living off of. It'd be just like a random guess. We'd be throwing darts at a guessing dartboard and spinning a wheel just to see. And we have no idea. And here's what I know. Some of us, we live off of let's say 90%. Some of us, we, we have, you know, 5% goes into a 401k and then we're pretty good about saving 5% and then we, we live off of 90%. That's some of us, right? Some of us, not only that, some of us are tithers and they, they, you're diligent and faithful with tithing and so you give 10% to the church and then you still got 5% here and so you live maybe, maybe more off 85%. And so then, then some of us, we, we live off 100%. We just flat out running hard and heavy. We live off 100%. We, we, we get to the end of the month and we just... Woo, we made budget, or we made, I paid that bill off, or, or we're like, don't cash that check till Monday, or you know, whatever it is. Some of us are even in a worse situation. Some of us actually, we, we live off of the 100 plus plus plan. This is where we live off 100% of our income, and then we have these amazing gifts from heaven called Visa and MasterCard, Discover. Uh, is Discover still around? American Express. Y'all clearly I don't have one. Uh, American Express, you got your Macy's card and your Nordstrom's card, you got all these cards. And you know what, these cards are so amazing because they allow you to get stuff even when you don't have money. Incredible, isn't it? And then they charge you extra money to borrow that money to buy stuff that you have no money to buy stuff with. It's a fascinating system. But my, 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 my point is, and we can all be in agreement, all of us are living off a percentage. We, most of us don't know what it is, but we all live off a percentage. Is that right? Okay, good. The second thing I know about us is this is this is how we feel. We feel if I just had more money or more income, man, things would be better, wouldn't they? Am I the only one that feels that way? You're a liar. I mean, how many times did your preacher just, you're a liar. Because when you go car shopping, 
Don't you, you like, you're, you know what car's in your budget, but you're like, man, if I could, if I just had a little bit more money, man, I could get the thing with the better stereo system and the leather thing, and the, or I could get the one with the turbo or the one, and you're like, if I just had a, just, a, just a little bit more, I could, I could get the, I could get the upgrade. Don't tell me you've never done that before. Or, you know, your house shopping and we ever bought your house. You're like, oh, man, you know, I mean, this 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 house is in our budget. I mean, it's, it's OK. But, oh, God, if we just had if we just had X more dollars. And some of us look at that with our budget, too, because we think about maybe trips we want to take or things we want to buy. And we we sit down with our spouse, or our family and say, man, if we just had X thousand more dollars per month. I mean, wouldn't it just take the burden off and wouldn't it make life easier? And man, if we just now are you with me? Don't we all feel like this? Okay, good. Now we've repented of our lying. So anyway, the, the, the third thing is, is that I know about our money is this, and, and this, is, this is a tougher one, is that we have actually, we actually have so much money compared to most people in the world, and yet we still feel financial pressure. Do you know that you make more money than the vast, vast, vast majority of people in the world? As a matter of fact, if you make over, over $40,000 a year, you're in the upper 4% of the world population. Yeah, most of the people in the world, they, they, they're broke compared to you. They got nothing. I mean, you thought you were bad? They're awful. All. I mean, they're just, they, they don't have anything. But compared to you, they would, some of them would kill to make what you make. Some of them would kill to live where you live. Some, I mean, like, and really, when we look at this, none of us got excited about that. None of us did like a, yeah, top 4%. Nobody did that. And here's why we didn't do that. It's because none of us actually feel that way, do we? We don't feel like we're that rich. Actually, what we feel is pressure, stress, tension. And not only that, many of us make more money now than we've ever made in our lives. Many of us are in that boat. Do you remember when you were younger and when you were, and some of y'all are young, so forgive me, but do you remember your first jobs and how bad they were? Do you remember your first jobs and how little money that you made? And at the time, you didn't even know you made that little probably, did you? Well, I was with some friends last night, and we were actually having a talk, and something came up about our, our jobs, all the different stupid, grunt, awful, terrible jobs that we had. And I remember like going through the list and like, oh my, I'd forgotten about this, and I'd forgotten about that. I, I remember I started out doing construction as a teenager, and, and I was, it was probably breaking child labor laws, but he didn't care, so he paid me in cash under the table. And I remember I made $5 an hour, and man, I was rolling. As a teenager, I was a baller shot caller. I was the man. And when you're a teenager and you have a lot of cash, and you don't know Jesus, you know what that means. So... I, I, it was all, and so like, I, I literally, I, I made $5 an hour. I remember my first job in ministry, I started out as an intern, which basically is probably breaking other child labor laws, but, but and, and here's why. I made, you want to get my first church job, I made $250 a, a month. Boom, step up off me, who's rolling now? Should have stayed in construction apparently. So, so my, my point is this, it's like, I remember, st and, and it, to me, you know, this is what's funny, is that $250 a month, it, um, it paid my rent. I, I, I paid $100 in rent to sleep on my buddy's couch, and I had the coat closet. All my life lived in a coat closet. This is when I was like 20 years old. And, uh, and then it paid for my cell phone. So I had a cell phone. I had one of them big 
chunky next tail. Remember, they like chirped at you back in the day, but big old honking ones. I had one of those and all of my, and then I turned doubles on the weekend at a restaurant just so I could eat. I mean, that was basically how I lived life. That was my first. And, and I remember starting off making so little money. And I remember thinking back then when I was 20, man, if I could just make this. And so finally, the church hires me on and I start getting some, some, some legitimate rolling in the dough type pay. And I'm rolling. My first official, like really getting paid job at church, $20,000 a year. I have made it. Woo! And that's the way I felt. Like, babe, I have arrived making that Skrilla. You know what I'm saying? And that was my first. And I remember thinking like, yeah, Woo! tired of working at that stupid restaurant. I'm going to work at Blockbuster anymore. I don't have to work here, here, where all the dumb jobs that I had. I was making 20, 20 G's. That was a big deal. And when you're 20, that paid for a lot. You know what I mean? And then, and then eventually I got promoted and hired up and oversaw more and more. And I got even more money. And I was making so much money that my wife could retire early. I, they moved me eventually from 20 grand a year to 30 grand a year. And boom, my wife retired. And this whole, and some of y'all are making fun of me, but like this is, this is how it started out. And, and, and my point is this, is back then... That was fantastic. Back then, that was amazing. And back then, that paid for so much. And back then, and I almost feel like one of those, you ever talk to your grandparents back when they used to go to the movie show for a nickel and all that? I feel a little bit like that, but, so forgive me. But my point is this, is that when we were young, we didn't have much, and we didn't make much. And we thought to ourselves, if I just had more money, oh, that would make so much better. And there would be so much less tension and less stress when it comes to my finances. Didn't we all think that? Now, here's the problem. All of you make more money now than you did then, but you still got the same amount, if not more, tension, stress, and pressure. What went wrong? At 20, we were convinced if we just had a little bit more money. Oh, man, yeah. It wasn't the cost of the living. because here's, here's what it is. Just as we talked about last week, that when it comes to our time, what God wants us to have is margin. The leftover, more than enough, that which is beyond what we need. Do you know that if you trusted God with the area of your finances and you began to submit yourself to God's wisdom and God's plan when it came to your finances, do you know what you would have? Margin! Now, guess what we're not going to talk about next week? Margin, right. But for this week, you know what I believe? I believe that God wants you to have margin. I believe God wants you to have leftovers. And, and, and I can prove it in Scripture. And, and, and here's the kickback. I know there's a resistance when it comes to talking about finances from a biblical standpoint. I remember doing a series two years ago on this, and I had a woman come up after service and literally argue with me about life. But that's just not, and you just don't. And you don't, and I'd be like, look, 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 this is the scripture verse. You don't argue with me. Go home and argue with God. I just didn't want to hear her argue anymore. Um, so I thought, you, you, see, read that, and then you go take that right there, and you just go pound heaven's gates with that and say, this is wrong all day long. You go do that, and then come back and tell me what God has said to you. And, and that's how I left the conversation. So I know there's a kickback. I know there's, there's kind of a resistance to it. But here's what I know is that when I have, and as a family and as, as, a, as, a, as a dad and as a husband, when I've given my finances over to God's wisdom and God's ways and God's plans of doing finances, you know what exits? Stress and tension 
and pressure. And you know what I end up getting? I end up getting margin. And what did I tell you last week? The great things in life happen in the margin. But the kickback that you all have is, but I, if I just had a little bit more money, Todd, I would have more margin. But you thought that when you were 20, didn't you? You thought, if I just had more money, if I just had more income, so which, which begs the question is this, how do I get margin, and why is it that I make more now than I used to, but I still don't have margin? How do I get margin? Where does margin come from? And this is the answer. Is that somewhere along the line, you and I had a lifestyle, and if it were like a, a line graph, how many know as our income went up, our lifestyle went up with it? And the issue is this. The reason why we don't have margin is this one big word. Everybody say lifestyle. Yeah, because if you still lived on your buddy's couch for 100 bucks a month and you made what you made now, you'd be cash happy, wouldn't you? Now, it's not, it's not reasonable that you live on your buddy's couch. Well, some of you probably could, but most of you, it's not reasonable that you live on your buddy's couch. But my point is this, is that as our income went up, our lifestyle just kept ramming up against it, didn't it? And there was something in us that said, well, I need to live like this. I mean, my parents have that. I need to have that. My friends have that. I need to have that. The world and the culture, this is all available and I need it. And we all feel this, this, this temptation to say, I've got to get more and I've got to have more and I've got to be here. And so we take our income and we keep ramming up our lifestyle. So the question is this, is the issue that we have that we need more money? No, the issue is that we keep ramming our lifestyle up against all the income that we have, which means this not only is it a lifestyle issue, it's a discipline issue, isn't it? Because somewhere along the lines is we have to say no to that new, and trust me, I love new things. I love shopping. Can I get an amen? Some of you, some of you out there think that's your spiritual gift is shopping, like you know how to shop good. And, and, and some, of you, some of you guys, you, you think your spiritual gift is car buying. But here's, here's the issue though. This is how we know that we have an issue when it comes to lifestyle and discipline. Have you ever had new car syndrome? Have you ever had the itch where you're like, no, no, I just need a car. And you get like zoned out in the eyes and nobody can convince you of anything else. And you're like, no, 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 I need a new car. I don't know what it is. I got to have a new car. And you get just hell bent on getting that new car. Nothing will stop you. You are a maniac for that new car. It's new car syndrome. Girls, you ever been out shopping? You're like, no, no, I need that. No, no, I need that. Now, you didn't know it existed 30 minutes ago, but now you need it and you cannot live without it. What is that thing within us? There's something inside of us that is driving us. And what happens is this, is our lifestyle rams right up against our income and we have no what? We have no margin. Let's read the Bible real quick here. I'll quit talking. Malachi chapter three, the Bible says this. The Bible says, and God is speaking to a group of people. Now, if, if you want to read along with me, the, the book of Malachi, or some people call it the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet, Malachi, um, he's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you've got red letters for Jesus' words, just hang a left, one book of the Bible, and you'll find Malachi. Now, the reason why he's the last book of the Old Testament is because he's the last prophet of the Old Testament. And he's the guy that basically spoke the last words until John the Baptist showed up and introduced Jesus. And so Malachi is the prophet that is speaking to the people of Israel. Now, this is what you need to know. Israel had already been beat up, taken captive, had their land taken from them had been dominated by multiple historical empires, first by, um, first by the, uh, the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And then the Persians beat up the Babylonians and then the Persians say, well, you can go home now. 
but you still got to pay us. But you can go home now. And so they, they let the people of Israel go home and they start to rebuild. They start to rebuild their temple. They start to rebuild their life and their culture. And how many know when you got to rebuild, you turn towards God, don't you? When you, gotta start, when you need a fresh start, you turn towards God. When, when all hell's broken loose, you turn towards God. But eventually, when things get better, you don't need God as much, right? We'd never logically say that, but we kind of tend to lean that way, don't we? When things are going good, we, we don't really need God as, as much, or so we think. And so this is what the people begin to do. They begin to neglect God and forget about worshiping God and forget about honoring God with their life. And so what happens is, is all of a sudden these rumors of war come up upon them. And famine comes up on them, meaning like a recession. Like there's no water, crops are getting scarce, food getting low. This is not looking good. And so you know what they do? They return to God. But God challenges them. This is what he says to them. Malachi 3, 7, he says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how exactly do we return? Verse 8, God responds and says, Will a man or will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And then he asks, well, how are we robbing you? It's simple. In tithes and offerings, or in, in, in their terminology, in putting God first financially. Therefore, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, I've read some of these verses before, but I usually don't ever read these opening ones. Usually I talk about the blessing that comes with giving to God first. But the whole context of it is this. Is there a people that forgot about God, didn't think about God when it came to their finances and said, no, no, I got this. I mean, get me into heaven. I want that. But I got the finance thing. I'll take care of that. And they pushed God out. And so the Bible uses this term called a curse. Everybody say a curse. And we normally, when we hear the word curse, we think of like a witch putting a spell on somebody or God's, you know, put, put you know, a black cloud over me that follows me and like in a cartoon where it's only over you and there's a curse on you. That's not what the way the Bible refers to curses, by the way. As a matter of fact, in Romans, it says that, that God cursed certain people, but by their, his curse was, is he gave them what they wanted. See, sometimes getting, you getting what you want, that's a curse. So, so, but the curse in essence is this is look, if you want to do it on your own and you don't want me involved, fine, I'm not involved. Do it on your own. You will get what you want. He says, my hands are off of it. And so besides, because you decided to do things completely on your own, I'm just not going to be involved. That's the way you wanted it. That's the way you're going to get it. And so that's, and by the way, how do you rob God anyway? Like that's an odd, like how do you like stick him up, give it to me. How do you rob God, the invisible creator of the universe? You, you can't physically rob God. But what he says is, is that the way that you rob me is by me not being first in your life and honoring me with tithes and offerings. Everybody say tithes. Now, if you've been around church any length of time, tithe means tenth. And traditionally in the church, that people that tithe, they take the first 10% of their income and they give that to God and then they live off the rest. Do you know they had it even worse back then? I say worse, it could have been better. But they actually had like three different tithes. I don't know if you know this or not, but like the first thing you had to do is you had to tithe 10% of the temple. Then you had to do another tithe where you gave a certain portion to the priest. And then you had to do another tithe that part of it went to you. And then every third one went to taking care of the poor. So like their 10% ended up being more closer to 20% by the time it was all said and done. And they're like, what? I got to give you almost 20% of my income, God? That is crazy. So we have it easier. We, we, tithing to us is just a tenth. It's just 10%. 
And when you were a kid, that, that would make a lot of sense. You'd just say, hey, God gave you everything, and God created everything, and God's given you all that money, and he only wants 10%. So off of every $10, you would say, God only wants to take one, and I get to keep nine? As a kid, isn't that a great deal? Like, I get to keep nine of these things. And then we get older, and you realize, no, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not down with that idea. I'm not down with that financial plan. I'm not going to do that. I need all of it because it's mine. We fail to realize the big, huge biblical concept. Everything is God's anyway. Started with him. It's all going back to him. It's his in the middle in reality. You've just got it on loan. The same way you have time on loan, the same way your body is on loan, your money is on loan. You didn't have none when you got here anyway, and you take none when you leave. So what do you end up being? You end up being a steward for a window of time. And God said, out of all the stuff I give you, I want you to give me 10% as a way of honoring me. And, and here's, here's the thing. Here's, let, let's keep reading. Let's just do this. Let's keep reading. So the Bible says, he doesn't just chastise them. Because it would be easy for me just to be like, you didn't, and you should, and you oughta, and you're bad. But God doesn't do that. He continues. In verse 10, he says this. He just gives them instruction and then a huge encouragement. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And even test me in this. Like, you can put me to the test. All other places in scriptures is don't do that. But I know how difficult this is for you. I know this is hard. So test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before they're ripe. And then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. And so God gives them this huge blessing, like, look, if you'll let me in, I'll bless you. If you let me in, I promise I'll be your provider. If you'll let me in, you'll have margin. And, and here's, here's what we know. Whenever we don't have margin, when it comes to our finances, we rob God and we rob ourselves, don't we? You know what I talked about last week, how when we, when, we, when we have no margin in our time, who do we rob? We rob ourselves of rest. We rob ourselves of time with God, and we rob ourselves of, of, of the people that we love the most, don't we? When we have no extra time and no time left over, we don't rest and we spend no time with God. Do you know that the same thing is true? When you have no financial margin, you don't honor God, do you? Why? Because there's just not enough. I, there's not enough left over. I don't have enough, and if I just had more, then I could do it. All the things that we talk about when we say, I want to be generous and I want to give and I want to be able to send and go and do when it comes to the kingdom of God, we can't because we have no what? We have no margin. You know what though? See, you rob yourself too though. When you have no margin, you end up robbing yourself because all those things that you'd like to do, that you'd like to accomplish, like we'd like to save. How many of you would like to have more in the bank saved than what you do now? How many of you would like to be completely debt free? But you can't get out of debt if you have no margin. You can't save for the future if you have no margin. You can't help your kids pay for college if you have no margin. And so what does God want you to have? Margin. At some point, we've got to check something at the door. And eventually, what we'll have to do is check our lifestyle at the door. But before we do that, we actually have to check our heart. And all throughout Scripture, you'll see that Jesus constantly says this, is that your money is spiritual. Now, doesn't that sound weird? Money is spiritual. I'll tell you why. Because when you don't have any, what hits your heart? Fear. Fear is spiritual. 
Anxiety is spiritual. Why is it that we feel like we need to measure up and live in, 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 in the certain places and drive the certain things? What drives that? Pride that's in our hearts drives us to do certain things with our money. Fear drives us to do certain things. See, money is a spiritual thing. Don't ever think, no, 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 God's got my heart, but he just didn't have my, no, no. Money is spiritual. It's connected to all those things. And here's what I know, is that giving, and when I mean giving, I mean like priority giving and percentage giving. Giving breaks the power of money over a person's life. That thing in you that says, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have, like giving breaks that off. That thing in you that feels like you have to measure off, you, you want that thing off your life, giving is what breaks that off of your life. I promise you, if you want your heart, I'm telling you, this is why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He never said where your heart is, your treasure will follow. He goes, that's not true. Some of us have a heart for things, but we have no margin. Money doesn't follow it. But where our treasure is, our heart absolutely does follow. So here's what I want to do for you today is, again, I, I don't want to beat you up about this. What I want to do is, is equip you with this and help you figure out how to do this. Because here's what I know about God is that God loves you and that God is for you. And God wants to bless you in your finances. And God wants to be involved in all those prayers you ask. Because we all, don't we all pray things? Have, how many of you have ever prayed about your job before? Yeah, you wanted God involved in your job. How many have ever prayed over your finances? Have you ever prayed about God getting you out of debt? We've prayed about all these things, which means what? All that stuff is spiritual. We want God involved in it. What God wants is for you to have margin so that you don't rob yourself and that you don't rob him and you live the most abundant life possible. But as, as long as you let your lifestyle ram up against your income, you will never have margin. And if you never have margin, you will always rob God and you will always rob Here's what I want to do. I'm going to get real, real practical for like the next few minutes, and then we're going to close up shop. Are you ready? Here's what I would love for you to do, and all you note takers, this is going to be great. And if you're not, grab the CD, and you just listen to it until you figure it out. The, the first thing that you need to do if you're going to ever have any financial margin in your life is this, is you've got to figure out, number one, what is my available annual income? That's the first question you have to figure out. And here's how you figure that out. What you do is you take your income, and then you start subtracting all the necessary things that, that, that are in there. Let, let me give you an example of some things. Like you got to figure out, okay, well, I got to take out my car payment. I got to take out my mortgage. I got to take out, you know, any debt payments that I have to make. If you've got child support, so you got to take out all those financial obligations, okay? Now, once you take all those, you have a chunk left over, right? Okay, now here's what else you have to do. Once you have that chunk left over, you got to ask yourself one question. How much do I want to save? How many know it's, it's important to save, right? We'd all agree with that. Well, how much do you want to save? And come up with the number that you want to save. Here's the next question you need to ask. How much do I want to give? Like be generous with. How much money do I want to give? And figure out what that number is. And then once you've put together all those bills, all those necessities, and you figured out how much you want to save and how much you want to give, here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to sit down. Because when you look at the amount left over, you might cry or pass out. Okay. Wouldn't that be true? Like, you're just, you're going to throw something. So, like, clear the room. Once you take out all those debts, all those bills, all those payments, then you figure out, what do I want to save and what do I want to give? You're going to want to sit down and figure out, okay, this is the number that I have left over. That's just where you need to start. Number two is this. And this is where it gets a little bit more tricky, is we need to come up with a budget plan. 
Yeah, see, here's, here's what I know, is that your money goes somewhere. Isn't it obvious? Now, where does it go, though? That's where most of us have no clue. That's where we're like, I don't know. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit everything. See, when you have a budget plan, you know where every single dollar goes. Because here's what I know. Like, how many of you are married out there? Raise your hand real quick, married people. Okay, here's what I know about you. At some point, you have looked at your spouse and be like, what are you spending money on? At some point, you're like, what have you been buying? This is what I did for my, I'm honest to God. When I was in my early 20s, and this was before we learned how to budget and plan and do everything that I'm telling you how to do, I would look at my wife and be like, babe, where is all my money going? No, so it was mine. Right. Anyway, I'm like, babe, and I, this is what I said. I'm like, babe, do you know how much money I make? Like, I make a good bit of money. Like, where is it all gone? I was convinced for years that she had some kind of secret bank account. Like, she was afraid that we weren't saving enough and that she had just basically, like, taken a percentage out and put it in some secret, which I wish, uh, did you do? Please say you did. But, but my hope was is that she had, it wasn't my hope at the time, it was my accusation, like, you, you're, you're, you, what are you doing with all my money? See, when you're on a budget, you don't have to answer that. Because see, when you start arguing with your wife, you know what, you know what you'll do? You'll have arguments with your spouse, like, well, it seems to me you've been spending an awful lot of money. See, when you have a real budget plan and you know where every dollar goes, there is no seems to be. There is and isn't. You know where every dollar goes or you don't. But you don't have to have a couple. So let's, let, how many of you have ever fought about money, argued about money, talked about who spent what or who spends too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, when you're on a budget plan, you know where it goes, and therefore you don't have to argue about, well, it seems to me. You've been at the golf course a lot lately, or you've been shopping a lot lately, or yeah, yeah, well, do you see that new purse you got over there? And you don't have to go through all that stuff because every dollar has a place. Number three is this, is begin giving and saving now. Everybody say now. I'm telling you this is huge, and some of you are going to resist me on this, because some of you will say, but pastor, if I don't, but pastor, I don't have this or I don't have that, I'm telling you, here's the reason why some of us cannot give, or at least with any consistency, we can't give or save with any consistency. It's because giving and saving is a habit. And if you don't do it now, what you'll do is, is well, when we get... Well, Todd, once I get some margin or once I get some more money, then I'll start giving and then I'll start saving. And you know what I'll tell you? No, you won't. Because you don't have the habit now. Nothing will change. Because go back, when you were 20, you told yourself the same thing. When I make a little bit more money, things will be different. Your 20-year-old self would kick you in the shin today if they knew how much stress and pressure you made along with how much money you made. Wouldn't they? Your 20-year-old self would give you a tongue lashing and be like, how dare you do this to how dare you take all of our money? Because your 20-year-old self knew if I, if I just made a little bit more money, things would be better. And then now you're your 30-year-old self or your 40-year-old self or your 50-year-old self, and it's not what you thought it would be. There's still tension and there's still pressure. And the reason why is because a long time ago, what we should have done was start giving and saving now so that it's a habit. And some of you say, well, Todd, I'd love to tithe. I'd love to give 10%, but I can't give 10%. Then listen, start at 2%. But I'm telling you, make it a habit now to give a certain percentage and say, we're going to give this much percentage, we're going to save this much percentage, and if our income goes up, the percentage goes up. And then I can slowly get my way all the way to that 10% if that's what's in your heart to do, which I would say is huge. 
the more you can have God blessing your finances, the better off you are. If not, you are on your own. Fourth and finally is this, is you need to develop an elimination plan for debt and lifestyle. How are you going to, listen, listen, if you had no more debt, would you have more margin? As long as you didn't increase your lifestyle, you'd have more margin, wouldn't you? How many of you would like to be debt free? Do you know that God wants you to be debt free? If you go read the scriptures that the Bible talks about debt, God is, is anti-debt. He is pro-freedom. Because when you have no debt, you know what you have more of? Margin. God wants you to have margin. The best things in life happen in the margin. Because when you have margin, you can give. And when you have margin, you can save. And when you have margin, you can do everything that it is that God's called you to do. But some of us can't give when we want to give because it's just the tension's too high. The pressure's there. Not only do we need a debt elimination plan, some of us need a lifestyle elimination plan. Some of you, you might have capped out the level of income that you're going to make. I don't know. Hopefully, as, as you grow older, and hopefully God gives you great ways and avenues of being promoted and, and elevating life where your income can increase. But some of you, that might not be the case. So if your income's not going to go up, do you know what has to come down? Your lifestyle has to come down. At some point, you're going to have to take a hard look at some of the things that you do, some of the places you go, the places that you shop, the things that you buy, and you're going to need to downgrade. And the reason why is because if your income's not going to go up, if you ever want margin in your life, your lifestyle has to come down. And let, let me help you with this. That's not a bad thing. Last thought, and I'm going to leave you with this. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes, and, and I, I want you to take a moment, because here's what I want you to do. If you'll take these things, and you go out there and figure out, what do I want to give? What do I want to save? Where is all my money going? What is the actual budget numbers and where does everything go in life? You're going to come up with a number. Here's what I want you to do with that number. This is so important. When you get that number, I want you to pray to your Father in heaven. And I want you to ask God the two questions and say, God, what is it that I'm feeling right now? And why do I feel that way? This is important. You're going to look at that number and you're going to see how small that number is or how tight things are going to be. And I want you to ask God the question, God, what am I feeling right now? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Some of us, it's the fear of not having. For some of us, it's the fear of not keeping up with. For, if, for some of us, it's the fear of not measuring up to a certain appearance. And then I want you to ask God the question, why do I feel that way? Is that even a right feeling? Is there something in my heart that's driving me? Because money's spiritual. Maybe it's pride. Maybe there's a pride issue that money has revealed. Maybe there's a worry factor where we just don't really trust God to be our provider. Maybe there's a greedy issue that money has revealed that says, no, I just, this is mine and I want it for me. And God, I'm not willing to let go of it. And I don't want to be generous. And I don't want to put you... Maybe there's a greed that's revealed in our heart. It's going to be an amazing moment when we look at that number and we figure out maybe what debt and what lifestyle we have to reduce. And we look at the realities and we ask God the question, God, what am I feeling right now? And God, why do I feel that way? And if it's wrong, God, would you purge that from my heart? Would you heal my heart? See, greed is a disease. Pride is a disease of the heart. That fear, that is a disease of the heart. And so God, I want you to purge me of that. I don't want that in me. 
Because if that's in me, it's going to spill over to everything else I do in life, whether it's my, my spouse or my kids or my job, my friends. It's just going to spill over. God, why do I feel that way? And God, would you heal my heart of it? I want to encourage you today that God loves you and is for you. And God wants you to have margin in your life. He wants you to have above and beyond so that you don't rob yourself and that first and foremost, you don't rob Him. You can always keep God first and foremost in your life. And so, Father, I pray that we walk out of these doors with a sense, God, of, of Your love and a sense of our confidence in You, God, that You're with us and that You're for us. God, I pray that You would give us a conviction of our heart, God, to take this message and to actually go down and crunch the numbers. To go run the numbers, God. What, what do we need to do to be generous? What do we need to do to have margin? God, what, what type of debt do I need to get rid of and how do I do that? How, what, where do I decrease my lifestyle? Here's what I know, is that you want you to be financially blessed. I know that. Let me tell you what I know about my Heavenly Father, is that my Heavenly Father wants you to be financially blessed. And if you will live it His way and walk it out His way and trust His way, you will find that blessing and you will find that margin. Father, give us the courage to trust you and to follow you, God. That is our prayer today, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.